Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Any good stories from the road? By book. I wish we'd gotten seen a little bit more out of our punter. I'm starting to puke. It makes my stomach hurt. Yeah. I thought he was going to die. I'm starting to throw up in my mouth a little bit. He's on the probiotics. Is Georgia playing the 1985 Bears this weekend or what? A lot of Todd, Todd, Todd talk. That poison proof. They're mongeese. We will not be hunted at the University of Georgia. I can promise you that. The hunting that we do will be done from us going the other direction. Howdy, y'all. It is the first official Georgia show of the spring. I know we had a show on Wednesday, but things hadn't really gotten cranked up to the fullest extent just yet. And we're fresh off of a big-time visitor list in Athens, Georgia. I'm Wes Blankenship. Jake Roos, Jake Rowe, Palmer Toms are here. Guys, let's start with Georgia's spring practice and the uh, banner player for me is Javon Bullard so far. He's got to follow up a pretty tough act that he had in his sophomore season. Man, I'm going to throw this to Palmer because uh, Palmer put in a grueling three days last week, uh, <laughs> back to back to back. Uh, he, he went like they, they don't they don't go back to back to back in the NBA anymore, but Palmer did. He went three days in a row. So Palmer, take it away. Yeah, no, I uh, just thinking about what I was going to Stock up, stock down on for later. Javon was certainly something that came to mind. Um, You know, I think that he's proving to be a leader on this team already. Um, You know, listening to him on Thursday after practice, uh, you can can tell that he's got the right mindset going into this year. Um, To be determined what it looks like on the field for him, but in terms of stepping up as a leader off the field, um, I, I definitely think that he's he's one of the guys that's saying all the right things at this point. Um, fresh slate. Nobody's been no, no, nobody's earned anything at this point. Uh, nobody's got a starting position. Uh, you know, the, the, they're cross training, getting everything going, uh, being willing to play multiple positions, do whatever's best for the team. And, you know, I think Javon is, is somebody that – this time last year, we weren't thinking about him as a shoe-in for defensive MVP of, of the national championship game. I think if we were thinking about that, we would have said Jalen Carter or Nolan Smith or, you know, Jamon Dumas Johnson was somebody that was getting a ton of a ton of uh, noise this time of year. Keely Ringo, Chris Smith, those guys had proven themselves. Javon was somebody that had not proven himself – did so throughout the season last year and now comes in. I'm going to read, I'm going to read Bullard's 2021 byline essentially from Georgia dogs on his player bio. Tell me if this sounds like somebody that you expected to have a breakout season in 2022. This is his 2021 as a freshman saw action in 14 to 15 games and finished with 12 total tackles played extensively and win over Charleston Southern and had a team-high six stops, had two stops and went over Arkansas, credited with a solo tackle versus Vanderbilt and Missouri and an assisted tackle versus UAB, 
had a tackle and kickoff coverage at the Auburn 18-yard line, enrolled at Georgia in January of 2021, and participated in spring drills and led the Red Squad with seven tackles in the G-Day intra-squad game. Not exactly jumping off the page, but he did just that uh, in 2022. Yeah, I mean, over, overshot basically every projection anybody could have had for him, I think, too. I believe it's a recruit three-star guy out of a non-traditional powerhouse in Baldwin. Um, you know, just uh, – it was an interesting take. I, we've talked about it here before, but, I mean, Louisville was really Georgia's main competition, and there aren't a lot of Georgia-Louisville recruiting battles on the football field. Uh, you know, it was a it was a good find. Dan Lanning worked that one really hard and uh, probably deserves a lot of credit for that one. Um, you know, this, the tenacity was always there. You could see that on his high school film. But I think to come as far as he has, has um, I, I, I've definitely been surprised by it. I'll say that. I think it starts for Bullard with a commitment to playing that star role. And I think I've said it before here, but you don't really – guys don't love playing that spot. It's a tweener spot, especially in college. I mean, it's – you look at the guys that have kind of gone on to be superstars. It's Minka Fitzpatrick. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, you know, you just don't see a lot of guys jump at that star position. And, um, you know, could the cornerbacks don't want to play it because they want to play cornerback. And, and that's where the money's made. And if safety can – show what he's doing at safety, that's where you want him. And I think Javon is number one just committed to being like, all right, I'll be the best I can be at this possible position uh, and and see how it goes. And uh, I think another thing, too, is, you know, both Palmer and I wrote stories on this guy this week. And the the quote I picked out was was kind of more of a, um, you know, I am where my feet are at. Um, I, I kind of I, – I, I'm just happy to kind of have a chance to play ball um, that type of thing. And, and you know, I think that that type of mindset keeps the, the game from getting too big for him. And then, lo and behold, look at his season. I mean, Tennessee dominated. Biggest game in Sanford Stadium history ranking-wise. Uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, amazing. I made a huge play in that one. Uh, maybe even a bigger play was the sack, um, you know, yeah. to kind of, you know, help Jordan, to help keep uh, Ohio State that end of the field. Uh, and then, you know, now obviously national championship game, the first two picks of his career. So he's a, he's a big game football player. You can't have enough of those. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the Stetson Bennett um, of Georgia's defense. They're getting a story that's kind of starting to, to build to that you know, big game. He's there. Um, lightly recruited. Obviously, he got a scholarship. Big game Bullard. Yeah, big game Bullard. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of things to love about that kid. And I, I really believe that coming off of that Chick-fil-A peach bowl, um, media day, I, I talked with him for about five minutes and I, I honestly didn't spend five minutes with anybody else that day, just because I started talking with him about the DUI arrest in September and it was just, he didn't shy away from it. It wasn't, a, I don't want to talk about that. It was like, I let people down, you know, like I, uh, I'm not real worried about what I had to do or what class I had to take or how much running I had to do or, or even that I got suspended. I'm worried about I embarrassed my family. I embarrassed my teammates. Uh, I embarrassed, uh, you know, everybody else, and, and that's just not me, and that's not what I want to do. And I don't know. There was, a, there was a certain way that he took accountability for that that impressed me. Well, yeah, I, I really like this quote that you had in the story that you wrote, uh, Jake. It's a privilege – this is Buller talking about his leadership role on the team. He said, I'm blessed to be in the position that I am. 
taking on the leadership roles in honor, and I don't take it for granted. I just want to lead those guys in the right direction like the leaders before me. I looked up to somebody when I first got here, and I just want to be one of those guys that's looked up to as the season goes on. And, you know, you hear so many people say that, and it's like, okay, let's let's see it. Let's see you actually do it. Let's see you live that out and actually be that guy that you're you're saying that you want to be. But I think we've seen the proof in the pudding now for the past couple seasons that there is something about that leadership that, at least with a few of the guys, it does trickle down. And that's a hard thing to do. And that's a hard thing to pull off. And so is repeating as national champions. That's really difficult. Um, and, and just you look at the, the microcosms of that. You look at the little things that it takes to do that. And Javon Bullard is trying to be more than just a walking cliche. And I think Georgia's proved and, and Georgia's effective leaders have proved that they can do that. They can learn from the leaders that came before them and actually be guys that inspire the younger dudes to step up and, and take that baton because somebody will have to do it at some point. Some guy that is, you know, that has a similar bio right now on his Georgia dogs page will probably step up at some point and Georgia will have to lean on him. And uh, they did it with Javon Bullard. We'll see who it is in 2023. I'm curious, Jake. Do you think, uh, because of the that the the, the nature of the stars uh, position being a tweener spot, it, does that make it more likely that Bullard comes back for a fourth year, even if he plays like he did last year? Yeah, I mean, I also because I don't know where Javon Bullard fits in the NFL. Period. Right. It's sure. not like I mean, and I try to tell this to people all the time. Well, so and so's you know better. Man, there are so many college players that were just dominant college football players that just didn't couldn't really find their niche in the NFL. I mean, thousands over the past 20, 30 years that that were just fantastic and 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 did all the right things there. And I mean, I think Javon Bullard is a four year player for sure. I think he's a guy that'll that'll be around for for his entirety. And, and I hope it's injury free. I know that I know one thing. Here's how you know how good Javon Bullard is and how how upsetting he is to play against. I uh, posted that story on Facebook. I look at the comments. Uh, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm, you know, glutton for punishment. And, uh, you know, there we go. Um, he, uh, he, there comes an Ohio State guy calling him a thug and calling him this and that for the uh, maybe their helmets touched um, uh, against Ohio State, whatever. Um, clearly not targeting. Um, just blows me away how anybody watches that replay and sees that. But um, it's see just, what you, you want know, to see impactful dude man impactful guy and just really excited to kind of see what what kind of excitement he generates over the next couple of years because i do think bruce that, that he's a guy that's going to be around for a while he gets a lot of honey badger comparisons which i think are interesting and then uh i bob sanders also comes to mind when i watch him play i mean mm. kind of that kind of that relentlessness that toughness uh, a little bit bigger than bob sanders for sure but you know. yeah D did love his game for sure. Uh, as Palmer well, and, uh, pointed out in his story, uh, Bullard says, I'm still the same person. I'm still eating off the floor. And I'm pretty sure that's a figurative statement. <laughs> Maybe it's literal. I don't know. But if it if it is literal, then that just shows you how intense he is and how dedicated he is to his craft. Well, and, and if we're talking about, you know, the, the jump that he made from year one to year two, what kind of jump can he make? in going into year three, I think that's something that's certainly exciting. And, and we talk about him as this, uh, you know, in the star position role and that slot corner 
spot. Um, you know, PFF did a, a rundown of the top 10 corners that were returning in college football. Bullard was the only slot corner on there. And if I'm not mistaken, he might have been higher than Kamari Lasseter. I think Bullard came in at, n- at number seven. Lasseter came in at number 10. Uh, but being the only slot corner on there says a lot about what he is capable of doing at that star position. I missed where you where you said that was from Pro, Pro Football Focus. Yes. Yeah. See, this is this is where I kind of get a little bit haywire on Pro Football Focus because I mean he may line up over the slot. There's nothing about him that's a corner. He's I would he's probably more linebacker than he is corner. And I know he covers and everything, but it's I mean, that's such a hybrid role. And I mean in the NFL, the nickel is the corner. Like he's a third corner in college. He's a he's an edge rusher, linebacker, safety, then corner. And, but, and that's but, kind of high roles. But when you're thinking about where those guys, th- those are secondary players. The, the the star is a secondary position. To me, it's it's a hybrid corner safety spot. You know, you have to be able to play and run support like a safety does, but you have to be able to uh, to to cover like a corner does. And, and I get what you're saying that that it, he does have responsibilities in the box and, and rushing the passer. And I mean, just ask Hendon Hooker. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do see it as a corner spot. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and respond to Tom Hog Dog's question here. Uh, no, this is the answer. <laughs> I had I mean, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Javon Bullard's a fantastic player. The ceiling on Malachi Starks is a chance to be one of the greatest to ever play the safety position at the University of Georgia. Yeah, the ceiling and, on Malachi Starks is, you know, being the first safety off the board, maybe could be one day the first cornerback off the board, make it also be a you know, a top tier wide receiver if he really wanted to be and could probably play running back too. He's just <laughs> that special of an athlete. And, and but but you, back to the corner thing, I I, I mean, go ahead, sorry. Well, and I was going to say, and if you want to see what kind of a player Malachi is, go check out the the Javon story. Um, it, it ties in the two of them. Javon talking about replacing Chris Smith, replacing Keely Ringo, the, the current outlook in the secondary. And I tied in Chris talking about th- those guys replacing him, and he had a ton of praise for Malachi Starks. But go ahead, Jake. I mean, I just – I mean, I was going back to the corner thing. I mean, I get I get that's kind of where he lines up. It's just not the function of the position there. He's asked to do so much different stuff than a corner's reason I say that about playing – like calling it a slot corner. Um, I just think when you put him in the same category as a Kamari Lasseter, who is probably on an island covering a guy all the time, and then you got this, the star position, which is also tied to the strong safety position, and all, they almost kind of team up to cover everybody – um, it's just, you know, you're just asking a guy to do a lot of different things. but um, and, and it's hard in its own way because, you know, Javon Bullard's got to come in and, and you know, you saw it with Mark Webb. You saw it with others. I mean, they come in sometimes and take on pulling guards. I mean, they that, that's just what they do. That's what they're expected to do. They're supposed to go in there and just, you know, like a stick of dynamite, blow up a pulling guard. And imagine Tate Ratledge and his mullet and his mustache hmm. – rolling around the edge, and you don't blow him up one day at practice, and then Kirby is just chewing you to no end because he expects you to do it a certain way. It's just unbelievable. That's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. the star it almost seems like that that shouldn't be the name. Like the star is someone that should have the best, most preferential treatment, but you're the guy that's like the alley cat in the mud, like just getting your teeth knocked in every day uh, by Tate 
by Tate Rattlers. That Probably the reason Nick Saban, when he came up with that name for it, because I'm pretty sure he named it. Obviously, he wanted a name that was S because it, it aligned with the Sam linebacker. He pulled the Sam linebacker out to bring in the star. And probably one of the reasons he called it that was probably maybe some guys be like, hey, I'd love to be the star. And then they start being <laughs> the star, and they don't really feel like being the star <laughs> anymore. There's a long list of reasons of why not to play that position. Matthew C. wants to know if Kirby is the innovator of the Mint defense and if all of what we're talking about is part of the Mint defense. I mean, somebody's going to want to give somebody a lot of the credit. Um, and, and it's really not a Mint defense. It's more of a Mint front. Um, but um, somebody's going to want to give one person credit for it. But it was – honestly, it was probably a brain trust at some point. Uh, you know, I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, Dan Quinn also had a hand in it. Um, it was Dan Quinn. It was guys like Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. Um, you know, a lot of people that run match zone coverage or, uh, you know, match pattern match zone um, are the guys who kind of came up with that because all of the, they had to try to figure out, all right, how do we keep these run games – under control with light boxes and uh that's that's something that that i think every team would love to do and you know the mint is what it is mint defense is what it is or mint, mint fronts but uh i don't think you can uh, do it without a certain jimmy and joe in there as well congrats to uh, thomas who has a two-story tent with the carport <laughs> somehow we got on my neighbors i don't know even how we got there tonight comment of the night um yeah let's let's uh talk about more about that defense and one of the brains behind it. But first, let's talk about our friends over at Breaking Tea as I uh, work to get this screen shared up tonight. Uh, Breaking Tea, as you know by now, has all of your Georgia apparel needs, whether it's a T-shirt or a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a coffee mug even. They got it all. They even had the uh, big dance Georgia shirt for the Lady Dogs. Tough game against Iowa today, but a heck of a season. And, of course, all of your national championship gear. Head on over to Breaking Tea. You don't have to be a star to wear Breaking Tea. Uh, how about Glenn Schumann, fellas? We learned about his raise this week. Well-deserved. Georgia doing everything it can to hold on to that guy. Um, but – to me, it just proves just how vital and just how, uh, you know, the, the factor of Schumann being uh, another pea in the pot with Kirby Smart and everything that Georgia's running and uh, just how important he is to what Georgia wants to do and has done and wants to continue to do as long as they can keep that guy on campus. Mike Bobo and Todd Hartley and a handful of other guys also getting big, big pay raises. I'll tell you what, I think uh, 805000 to $1.9 million equals Glenn Schumann turned down Alabama. <laughs> um, I think that that's obvious at this point. I mean, I'm, we know – I'm, I'm almost positive he turned down the Philadelphia Eagles too, um, but uh, he had to turn down Alabama first. And I think that the raise he got from turning down Alabama maybe got a little bit more to turn down the Eagles. But, man, if you're, if you're thinking about it, I mean, Glenn Schumann, you're – you know. 10, 15 years ago, I don't know how long it was. You're this, you know, whatever nerdy kid stepping in there to Alabama as a as a undergrad assistant, as a freshman, getting screamed at, worried about looking Nick Saban in the eye the wrong way, 
one day and now you're making 1.9 million dollars as maybe the one of the best defensive minds in all of college football and that's one of the reasons in that draft I wanted Glenn Schumann when I got him and he's he's a big part of why Georgia is where they are and and you don't pay a 30 I don't 33 34 year old guy that amount of money um if uh if he's not a big part of what you built there um I, I don't know when he's going to become a head coach um, 32 32 yeah i mean jesus Christ. turns 33 in 10 days what Happy am i doing birthday. my life <laughs> doing my life so tell Lynch. me tell me uh we've we touched on this before how schumann could potentially be you know the foil for kirby smart at georgia that kirby was at alabama right we know that nick saban told kirby when the auburn uh, job came up when the south carolina job came up Wait for the one that you know and everyone else knows you really want. How much of this is a factor of Glenn Schumann is looking what Georgia is and looking at what Bama is and saying, all right, Georgia's just better right now? Or how much of it is he's just truly in a luxurious spot to wait out some much better head coaching opportunities? I don't know, man. When you, you go to the – you go to the auction and you pick out exactly what you want and you get it there and you get it in a trailer and you get it home. Um, you know, obviously I'm not trying to compare these players to livestock. I'm just trying to find a good metaphor here. Uh, but you get, you get exactly what you want um, year after year after year. And you're sitting there, you're working with those guys. Why do you want to start over? You know, why do you want to go, um, you know, no offense to Tresman Marshall, but you know, Tresman Marshall was a third linebacker at Georgia. He might be the first or second at Alabama. Um, why do you want to go have to rebuild that inside linebacker room? Because quite frankly, it sucks. It's not a, if you're at Alabama and you're dealing with the talent that they're dealing with at inside linebacker right now and the development and the way that thing is going, it absolutely sucks. Alabama was the gold standard. Now Georgia is at that particular position. I'm not trying to get in a fight with a bunch of Alabama fans, but your inside linebackers are terrible compared to what they've been in the past. Sounds like <laughs> you're trying to get in a fight. I'm I'm sure they're going to take that super well. Someone's um, forehead <laughs> vein is touching the monitor of his laptop right now after that um, comment. Um, I don't yeah. think – I don't. But based on what I know about Alabama fans, and quite a few Georgia fans too, they're kind of built like me. We ain't got to worry about veins sticking out of anything. I mean, it's just kind of <laughs> like just a little layer of fat covers that up. No, you know, Andy Stowe over here says, uh, do you think he'll take a smaller school job or hold out for a big time job like Dan Lanning? I, I mean, listen, I, Lanning kind of set the market in, in that regard, I think. I mean, Oregon's a fantastic job, all the resources in the world. Why would you? I mean, I don't think he has the necessity to cut his teeth anywhere. You know, it, the when the Philadelphia Eagles and Alabama Crimson Tide are coming calling, then you, you pretty well made it. You can go somewhere and uh, probably lead a program in a pretty effective way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, how about the fact that he's just hiding cash in those sweatsuits that he wears to practice every day, regardless of how hot or cold it is outside? It's insane. Takes, he's just built different, man. Um, so we also get a, a report on Mike Bobo, the new offensive coordinator. I'm sure y'all have heard of him. Uh, $1 million. Not a bad pickup for just being an offensive analyst, just being an offensive analyst uh, in a national championship season. But now the stakes are a little bit higher for Coach Bobo uh, as wow. spring ramps up and his time spent on the golf course with Coach Searles and fishing with Coach Searles 
declines a little bit. Now it's time to install an offense, and it's time for him to put a new stamp on his role as an offensive coordinator. Obviously, he helped Todd Munkin out substantially and drew up a lot of play calls, and Todd Munkin gave him the credit for that. Uh, but now it's time to start earning his keep a little bit more as the guy in the OC. Well, he's also still good. getting paid by Auburn, and I think that's got to that's got to feel good for Kirby Smart to uh, to to have uh, to be paying a coordinator and know that he is still getting paid by one of your biggest rivals. Yeah, that's I mean, and, and Bobo, you talk about stacking cash. I mean, he's like one of those teachers that in the state of Georgia that retired after thirty years, and they went across the state line and started. You know, took their Georgia teacher retirement, went and made a full salary over in South Carolina. Now they're able to come back to Georgia and make a full salary. Got teachers over here making 150 grand a year. Good for them. They deserve every penny of it. Uh, but I mean, man, Mike Bobo making a lot more money than he did when he left Georgia. That's for sure. I think he eventually got up to maybe a half million uh, before he left Georgia. Uh, Georgia promptly played, paid Jeremy Pruitt um, well over a million to stay. And, uh, you know, now Bobo, I think, is kind of making more on par of what you would pay a, a big-time offensive coordinator, and we'll see if he can you know, be that big-time offensive coordinator at Georgia. Um, you know, it's way too early to tell, and I can't wait for spring for the G-Day game to get here and for everybody to kind of make their judgments on how much change for the offense. I really wish Mike Bobo would roll him out there in the wishbone to start this thing. And, uh, and just, I hope he just runs – His explode. I, I hope I he just pray. runs halfback draws – on every single play. <laughs> well, and, and, and G-Day already is a, a weird offensive game because, you, I mean, it's typically pretty pass-heavy. And, and I would imagine it's going to be even more so pass-heavy with a quarterback competition. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like, guys, Carson Beck everywhere is just being anointed as the guy. Palmer, you were on the radio this past week. Uh, I mentioned at the end of last week's or, or uh, Wednesday night show, David Pollock was on with J.D. Piquel over at On3 uh, on their YouTube channel, the national channel, and it's Carson Beck's job to lose. I mean, Kirby's got to be hating this. you got to keep these other guys interested, right? I know that everything inside of the building is different from what you guys are talking about in the media. Uh, but for Carson Beck to come in and just already be expected to be the guy, that doesn't really track with what I expected the spring to be, which was uh, much more of a wide-open competition. And, uh, and I, th I, th I think it still is. I mean, you know, we heard from Kirby saying that, that he was going – that they were going to be splitting the first-team reps. Uh, Carson and, and Brock were – and, you know, constantly reminding us, hey, don't forget about Gunner. Um, you know, to me, it feels like Stockton is, is a little bit in the backseat, but an, an incredibly talented player there that is fully capable of, of moving up to the front seat if, if, if called upon and if needed and if he proves himself to be. Um, you know, I, I mean – I do think that there's a little bit of going back to Mike Bobo, you know, tying those two things together. I do think it's interesting that Gunner was a South Carolina commit when Bobo was the OC there. That's, that's yeah, I mean, the fact that he already likes. Yeah, likes him. Um, but is he ready? 
Um, is he ready to pass Carson Beck? I mean, I, I think Carson Beck being ahead at this stage was inevitable. We're three practices in the spring, and I think right now if Georgia started a game, it would be Carson Beck. But I, I, I would – it would blow my mind if anybody honestly expected anything different. I mean, Carson's played so much more football, and it's still not a lot, but it's a lot more than – I mean, Brock Vandegrift hasn't completed a pass, and, and, and Gunnar Stoughton has never played in a college game, and – Carson Beck competed, completed over 70% of his passes last year for, you know, like eight yards, eight and a half yards per attempt. And, and we're talking about in situations where Georgia was primarily running the ball. Um, he looked good when he scrambled. Uh, he, he showed big-time improvement in mop-up action from one year to the next. And, it's yeah, it's mop-up action, but, you know, the improvement was very noticeable. And um, it, it, he's going to be ahead for a while. Nobody's overtaking him next week or the week after or by spring drills or, or you know, by the first week of preseason camp. I mean, I think the earliest you may hear of anybody kind of making a move or there being a real 50-50 split or there being a, a true dogfight for the quarterback position is going to be a couple, two or three weeks in the preseason camp. And, uh, and, and even then, um, you know, as long as Carson Beck continues to run just as fast as everybody else does in this race, he's going to win it because he's already a few lengths ahead. Well, and Jake, I do think that there, if if one of these guys goes into the transfer portal, that'll obviously show a little bit of of you know, hey, who's who's ahead at this point? Um, you know, if if one of those two, um, you know, if Beck or Brock or or Gunner even decided to enter the transfer portal, not saying that that's what we're hearing is going to happen, but it's it's certainly a possibility in May. Yeah, it's a possibility for for everybody. I mean, it's just the nature of that position. You got to get out, and if you're not getting the snaps, you're not getting the reps. You know, you're going to be looking elsewhere, regardless of how much you love Georgia or what you think your situation may be. But no one's going to give us a hint or talk about that at this point in the spring. Um, what what do you think? Let's say Carson Beck is the guy. We've gotten glimpses of what his game looks like. How how different will Georgia's offense look? Well, will not just because of Bobo, but just because of who Carson Beck is and who Stetson Bennett was. Do you expect a significantly different uh, wrinkle or fold or or any kind of change just based on Beck's skill set versus Bennett's? Not really. Um... I don't think that's a driving factor because you saw him kind of succeed running a similar offense last year. I think the driving factor is, all right, Darnell Washington's not around. Are you going to run as much 12 personnel? I know there are some folks who think the world of, of Oscar Delt, but there's just a different dynamic there. And not only that, but, you know, you got Dominic Lovett and you got, you got a uh, Ra Ra Thomas and, and Lad McConkey and, um, you know, Marcus Rosemey Jack Saints a name that as I checked with sources, you know, today, is a guy that's you know gotten off to a pretty quick start here in in preseason camp. You got Dylan Bell and Arian Smith and um, these freshman wide receivers that I mean, man, if you hadn't seen those photos Palmer put up from Thursday's practice, uh, Tyler Williams is. Uh, I mean, there might be something. There might be a this might be a little case of men in black here. There might be a little tiny alien up there driving him. I mean, that, <laughs> that might be a vehicle of some sort. That that cat's unreal. So, I mean, Georgia's got a lot more talent at wide receiver. Um, I think the offense might be different because of so many other things than Carson Becker, Mike Bobo, which is going to be kind of wild if you think about it. 
But those two guys will be the lightning rods. You know it. It's going to be, oh, oh this this looks different because Bobo's here now. Or the first time Carson Beck throws an incompletion, it's going to be Bobo's fault. Uh, Palmer, did you take this picture? I did. Was this like a, a drill where they were it working was. on one-handed it grabs? Was. or? Uh, yeah, okay. it, it was It was a drill. But it's, it's better if you don't tell people that. <laughs> don't let the uh, facts get in the way of a good photo. That's what I've always said. Mario Strobridge says uh, a fullback will be good to keep the chain moving. <laughs> I'll never get tired of the fullback jokes with Mike Bobo. People are I mean, going to, yeah, I, I pray to God he marches one out there during the spring game. Oh, man, I really hope, I hope they line I, up. I do. Home. I hope they line up. And, <laughs> I they did hear, it in I 2005. The, I want to hear the crowd reaction, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> be very like, mixed. Imagine booing at the spring game. <laughs> you're gonna, you're not going to hear as many boos as you just hear pops. It's just going to be pop, pop, pop. You see brains everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Mars attacks. Yeah. That's our second 90s alien movie reference. Sorry, Palmer. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Oh, it's like I, 90s. What is that? <laughs> so hey, I, lived, I, I lived briefly in the 90s briefly 99. then you really then you truly lived i know we got a lot of this stuff behind a paywall i don't want y'all to give everything away you kind of hinted at tyler williams and his stature but what really has been maybe not the storyline because that seems too aggressive this early in the spring but what what really has just been the eye-popping uh, note or detail that you've seen from this version of Georgia football as they turn the page into 2023? I don't know that there's been anything eye-popping, to be honest with you. We've only seen them that once. Um, Tyler Williams is a pretty good-looking player. I'll say that. I'll, um, well, I'll say this, and, and it's somebody that I wrote a story about this week, but Andrew Paul being back out there was was a really encouraging sign to me. Um, you know, Kirby told us that he was he was going to be out this spring and then backtracked it a little bit and said, well, he's he's going to be out there doing individual, but not 11 on 11. He was he was pretty active participant in practice, did have a big brace on his on his knee. Um, but first of all, it was good to just see Andrew Paul out on the football field, suited up, be able to take a photo of him because we didn't have anything but Roos's commitment day photos. Uh, there for him, and, and so you know, those were good I, photos, though. <laughs> those were great, those were great. Um, but yeah, so I, I think seeing him back out there and hearing uh, what we've heard about him, him, you know, really pushing to to get back to 100%, uh, that's that's encouraging to me. That's that's one of the early storylines. I'll talk about something I didn't really expound upon in the practice report, and that was a, a little fight. Little fisticuffs between uh, Gabe uh, Gabe Harris and uh, um, Pierce Sperlin. Um, doing a little fumble drill. Gabe Harris trying to get the ball out. I think Pierce Sperlin kind of stuck his arm out or shot him an elbow. Yeah, maybe getting a little too rough. They weren't brother-in-law, and that's for sure. <laughs> and uh, Gabriel, Gabe Harris snatched his helmet off and then threw a wild right hand. I'm talking about one. Oh, dang. I didn't know that, it was that intense. That would have – I'm Gabe telling you. Harris, I, I'm – I'm gonna Gabe drop you a photo of of the of the what led up to it. Yeah. Okay. And, and it would. Uh, I'm telling you, it would have. Uh, it, had it connected, um, you know, they probably they're probably looking at a like a UFC type situation. There's somebody that had to get between them pretty quick because, especially if Gabe Harris went in on him. But Pierce Sperlin, man, I tell you, Tyson Fury, like, I mean, he just bobbed his head back, made a miss. 
Uh, never <laughs> never threw a punch himself, just kind of kept it calm and cool. Gabriel Harris backed off pretty good, but you could tell they were really getting after it that early. And a couple freshmen at that, uh, probably one of the, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen one quite like that at practice. I uh, I would say that if I were Pierce Perlin, I would avoid fighting Gabe Harris. Again, Pierce, per- Pierce Perlin is a good athlete, but he's a slight young man compared to Gabe Harris. How yeah, about he, he, is a, he is on the thin side, too. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a, Lawson he's a, he's Lucky, a, you know, the, the, the difference between how him and Lawson Lucky are put together at this point is pretty stark. He's give, he's given up probably 50 to 60 pounds on him. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I mean, uh, Pierce Perlin weighs like 170. Yeah, Gabe in the uh, number 29, reminiscent of Jarvis Jones. Let me pull this photo up that Palmer got. Speaking of new numbers, how about uh, – was it Roderick Robinson rocking the number zero now? Yep. A running back. That's pretty sick. Another big O because he's big. He's a big dude. And Kendall told us, he, speaking of fullbacks – Kendall Milton told us on Tuesday that if if Roderick Robinson kept eating, he may be a fullback. Yeah, I mean that that kind of surprised me. Um, Fat jokes, body shaming, <laughs> <laughs> livestock jokes. Uh, all right, good stuff, guys. I appreciate it, and we will have more info from Georgia spring practice later on this week. All right, Jake Roos, you've been waiting patiently, my man. DeMello Jones, big Georgia guy. And we're talking about Bullard. We're talking about Stetson earlier. DeMello out of Swainsboro. You don't really pronounce that O in Swainsboro. I don't don't even think you pronounce the final letters, just Swainsboro. But, don't ever, uh, hey, listen, don't ever get stopped for an expired tag in Swainsboro because I did one time and they, they hit me for almost 400 bucks. Easy place to get stopped to. Speed trap town. Oh big, my god! Oh yeah, big time. Um, I, I was trying to think, Ro. I can't. I, I've been doing this for like nine years now. I, I can't think of a Swainsboro guy that that they've ever gone after. Um, that's, me neither. It's it's a it's pretty unique. So, uh, Demello Jones, though, a guy that Georgia got in on, and let me tell you, really coveted. Uh, well, you got one. Rico Johnson. Was Rico out of there? I believe Rico Johnson was from Swainsboro. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, I was uh, – listen, this is a guy that Georgia really wanted. They've been pushing heavy for since the fall. Uh, to get him in now I think was uh, a little bit of a surprise, um, uh, although I will say I predicted that uh, just over a week ago of course over on the uh, recruiting prediction machine at uh, on three. But uh, two-way player for Swainsboro – that's how it is with most of these guys that can play at this level, especially at a school that size. Not a not a gigantic school, so you're going to be, uh, you know, you're you're a pretty special athlete. Super fast guy, um, does a little bit of it all. Georgia likes him as a corner. Fran Brown been leading the way there, and uh, just a tremendous player, man. I mean, you can see it on the film. He's got all the speed in the world. Great size at this stage. It's like six one, like one eighty. Um, can run like the wind. I mean. Uh, I heard glowing things about his state championship performance from people who were there. Um, just a great get and um, a, a big one because everybody was in on this kid, man. I mean, uh, Alabama wanted a piece of this kid. Uh, you know, it, this was this was not just a, a one uh, a one horse race. This was everybody in the nation kind of in on this guy, and uh, Georgia able to keep one of the best uh, in the Peach State home. Yeah. Um- 
when I go back to Bennett and Bullard winning those MVPs in the postseason, I just can't really uh, – I can't help but think about how important it is to continue to have dudes like this. Yep. Even though Georgia is internationally recruiting, they just offered a kid from Nigeria that is playing football in the U.K. right now, internationally recruiting everybody. When you own the state of Georgia, and I, I, I know Georgia doesn't necessarily have to own the state of Georgia in recruiting, <clears throat> but when you keep bringing in guys like this, man, it just really creates this glue of what I, I feel like is important for Kirby Smart. Look at his staff. It's it's all Georgia guys pretty much. So, yeah, we'll see how this plays out. He's going to – Georgia's going to have a lot of competition, it looks like, to hang on to this commitment. No doubt. But this one was no. big. No doubt. They'll, they'll have to really keep uh, keep on him. But, you know, sounded solidly committed. Um, you know, uh, like I said, a, a big pickup for them. And I think he's really seen what George has done with that cornerback spot uh, over these last few years. Really connected well with Fran Brown as uh, stood out there. And just appreciates George's family atmosphere, too. Mentioned that several times when I talked to him. Um, just, you know, the connection that he had with coaches, the relationships that he'd built with those guys. Uh, just said it was a uh, you know a very hospitable and and tight knit uh, atmosphere there, and that stuck out to him in a big way. So your your indication is that he will play defense. Yeah, I believe he's a cornerback at the next level for sure. Now he's got the capability to play wide receiver if they need him to, or they think that that's maybe where his future is long term. But I think that the take here is uh, as a cornerback, um, you know, listed as an athlete and probably get a chance to do a little bit of of both. But I, I think that, uh, I, or I mean, he'll continue to do both in high school. But I, I think his destination, at least the projection right now, is uh, at cornerback under Fran Brown. Got it. Well, that was a big start to a uh, big week of recruiting, maybe if not news, just recruiting waves on the Georgia front with Dylan Riola in town uh, visiting in Athens. I was out there last night for dinner, and Athens was hopping. So I have no doubt that everybody and anybody who was visiting the dogs had a fine time. But what was the uh, takeaway? What was the big uh, scuttlebutt from some of the other names in town as well. Yeah, you know, not too much uh, surrounding Riola. Uh, not too much different, I guess I should say. It's kind of what we felt going into it. Um, you know, these are important visits for him. I think at the end of the day, really, though, he's got to decide, does he want to be part of a two-quarterback class or does he want to go somewhere else and be the man? Um, because Georgia is going to take two in this class. Ron Puglisi is saying everything right. He wants to be part of this class. I think that um, it's a situation where does Riola want to play alongside that? Um, also, too, I mean, look, the USC factor is big. I think that if you're a, a top flight quarterback and you're looking at Lincoln Riley, you have to consider him. And he's doing things with quarterbacks that very few people in really the history of college football have ever done in terms of, uh, you know, producing top flight guys, uh, Heisman winners, you know, say what you want about the stats and how they play out West. Uh, you know, that's everybody's got an opinion on that. The guy gets guys drafted and the guy makes successful quarterbacks. So I think that that's going to be uh, really compelling for him as well. And then with Nebraska, he has a chance to go there and be the centerpiece of the rebuild and they'd love him forever just for coming. 
Um, you know, it's uh, it's a dire situation, uh, and there's a long way for Nebraska football to go before things are going to get better. I don't know that four years is going to do it, but you know, he would be well loved. There's no question about it. Already is. I mean, as the son of Dominic Riola, but you know, he being who he is and what he could mean to that program, it would be pretty huge. I'm not um, saying he won't because of this, but can you imagine the pressure, just the weight on your shoulders to come in and be the chosen one at quarterback? I mean, I, I think the – I guess the best comparison for Georgia as of late would probably be like Jacob Eason. Like that yeah, – right. that dude walked into a situation, Justin Fields. I mean, that it doesn't always work out that way. So well, I'll say this too. I mean, look at look at Quinn Ewers this past year at Texas. I mean, Quinn Ewers is not the the you know the 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 bell of the ball at in Austin right now. Not like he was this time last year. You know, when he was coming in, he was going to come save that thing, and everything was going to be awesome, and everything was going to be great. And now, um, you know, I'm not saying like most of the fan base or anything, but there's a a noticeable portion of the fan base that doubts the kid. And they're ready for Arch Manning, and you know yeah. you go but to that, you go it, to an unsettled situation. You know you you and and you can't lift all the boats with your tide. Then it's uh it's it's tough to stay in the good graces, and you know you get a lot of get a lot of guys turning on you. And I'm not necessarily saying they pay attention to that uh, per se, but um I mean I think that's something to consider. Uh, I, I think these guys do, man. I think they're they, way uh, more thing, plugged in. They admit. One thing I'll say on that Ewers front is how much of that is not necessarily Quinn Ewers as much as it is Arch Manning. Probably, yeah, I, I think probably part of it lot. is. But but what do you think USC? I mean, what do you think? You know, I mean, my chair just—I <laughs> just broke my chair. <laughs> Munson moment. I know, right? Chair. Um, I mean, I think part of it's Arch Manning, but at the, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I when they were recruiting Arch Manning this preseason, um, I don't think they were going ahead and talking about him being supplanted, I think it was Quinn Ewers kind of struggling and them losing some games they shouldn't have lost um, because he couldn't just make up for all the deficiencies in that program. And I think any quarterback who wants to come and think, all right, well, I can lift this thing. I can be the one to dig it out. Man, that's some hubris, dude. And and I'm not – I mean, 18-year-olds have egos. Well, the, coaches, the coaches and fans tell them that they're going to do it, though. I mean, yeah. they buy into it. Hey, was and if uh, like Kirby, then they blame the entitlement on us. Was Merklinger uh, on campus too? Uh, he was supposed to be there today, so uh, we today. probably won't get returns on that until tomorrow. But okay, um, you know, I, I was curious about that when I saw those names. I was like, are they going to have both quarterbacks there at the same time? Because yeah, I couldn't yeah. remember a time no, Merklinger, Merklinger when that Merklinger was supposed to go to Michigan State and then come to Georgia. Um, okay. Definitely a kid to watch, though. I mean, and, and a tremendous player in his own right. I know everybody, you know, listen, it's it's sexy to be the number one quarterback in America. There's no question about it. But uh, Merklinger, a fantastic player, too. I, I know I, I, I feel very, very strongly that Georgia would be quite happy with a Merklinger Puglisi class. Um if they were able to pull that off, but he's got great options too. Tennessee is sort of making him the dude for their class. Uh, so Georgia has to kind of combat up against that. There's a lot of love in the Merklinger household. His mom went to Georgia um, and uh, he said, yeah, you know, that was a pretty special moment when he, he received that offer. So um, one of the other interesting takeaways I thought at least from this weekend was another tight end offer out uh, to Caleb Odom out of Carrollton. Um, Georgia, man, they, they got a lot of irons in the fire here when it comes to 
uh, tight end in this class. They've already got a tremendous one committed in Landon Thomas, but you know, Jaden Riddell is the, I think, uh, number six in the industry, but number one, according to on threes ranking, Caleb Odom now with the offer, um, you know, you've got, uh, uh, Brady Price Corn, I think, put them into the t- his top list. So they're casting a pretty wide net there. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Georgia, apparently, I guess, is just going to be a two tight end class every year, which is pretty bizarre and, and unique, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at how it I, – I won't say it was a one-for-one one impact, but I saw a lot of big – talented tight ends hitting the portal this year not just because they saw georgia do it but i think it gave them a little bit of a, a reason to say okay if the tight ends are going to be in vogue now and in, in offenses in college football let me see what i can get let me see where i can go and i think that georgia kind of started a trend here and it's going to be hard to replicate that if you don't have <laughs> darnell washington and brock bowers uh but you might have some some Todd Munkin tight end light offenses springing up here and there over the next couple of seasons. Look at Georgia. Most of, the, Georgia. Most of those dudes that entered the portal were from Georgia. I mean, Georgia had three tight ends enter the portal. I do want to respond to something Matthew C said over here about Ewers getting hurt. I, listen, I'm not bagging on Quinn Ewers. I'm just saying they'll turn on you in a hurry. Whether you get hurt, whether you don't, if you're not delivering, if you're not the tide that's raising all the boats, they will turn on you and they will want the next guy. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of pressure involved in that if you're expected to be the savior of the program. And that's 100% what Dylan Rayola will expect be expected to do if he goes to Nebraska. Georgia yeah. commits already in this class. That's pretty strong. That's, uh, you know, before we even hit summer. And, um, you know, this is a situation where, uh, like I said, all these tight ends, I think it may be – I think it may boil down to who commits first. Uh, it may be who takes the spot. So – and that may be the case in a lot of these instances. Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody on the board. I mean, you've got two top flight safeties still committing uh, or just still uh, considering you, and you've got two top flight ones already committed. Um, so Georgia's got a pretty interesting balancing act, I think, on its hands when it comes to how they end up addressing this this year because uh, it's there's there's a bit of an embarrassment of riches. By the way, shout out. Uh, to uh, the, that man right above Ryan Puglisi there on your screen, uh, Dwight Phillips uh, laying down the the, the ten two nine in the uh, hundred, just absolutely blazing dudes, man. Yeah, made it look easy too. Yeah, I mean just to take it full circle though, I mean Georgia paying all these assistants, paying the coordinators. I mean, with all of the changes in the this revolving crazy carousel of assistant coaches trying to get jobs in the NFL because they hate how the game is going right now. Doesn't really seem to be the case at Georgia. And look, they, they have the luxury of being able to afford to pay some guys to stay where a lot of other schools probably can't, but that stability, man, every little bit of it helps. And uh, Georgia's reaping the rewards of it. Let's get into some dog stocks. I'll will, I will get us started stock up on Georgia's repeat national championship as we see Kansas lose in the NCAA tournament. I know it's two different sports. The postseason model is totally different, but it's just that essence of college teams trying to repeat as national champions. And this Kansas team wasn't the same one as last year, uh, and Georgia's team in a lot of ways 
got better on offense and, and improved some things, even though they took somewhat of a step back on defense. It just goes to show how difficult it is to repeat as national champs, and it gives Georgia fans every reason to sit there and appreciate what they did because it's difficult, man, and you cannot do it. You cannot take it for granted. And I know this offseason hasn't been the best, hasn't given us the most time to appreciate it, but just seeing Kansas fall this week in a crazy NCAA tournament reminded me of what Georgia did and uh, made me appreciate it a little bit more. First team to ever do it in college football with any sort of playoff. So that, I mean, and, yeah. you know, at one point you could have said, all right, so what? You win back-to-back titles. You didn't have to play in a tournament. Well, Georgia played in a four-man tournament two years in a row and, and won it all. So it's the, the landscape has changed. The Georgia has Georgia made history. And uh, we'll see if they do, do it that- three in a row. That'd be something pretty crazy. Jake, do you think that makes it easier or harder the fact that there's a playoff? I think harder for sure. You got to, I mean, you got to beat two elite teams to win it all rather than just one. But you don't have to be one of the top two teams to get in. You know what I mean there? I mean, like Georgia 21 team would not have made it into a BCS format. I mean, fine. I I mean, but I still think it makes it harder. I mean, get easier to get a chance slightly easier to get a chance in credit i think still think it makes it tougher to win it yeah i mean just, i i think just create discussion here yeah yeah i got you no i mean as it expands I'm not, you, not today <laughs> as it expands i certainly think it's going to be tougher i mean you're going to have more wear and tear you're going to have uh teams that that do get an upset and maybe go on a little bit of a run that you don't expect them to um Thing with the transfer portal, certainly you're going to have some teams in there that you don't expect to do much, but they've got maybe a sneakier, better roster than you think they do. I would agree. Stocks, anybody? Yeah, I'm going to go stock on Todd Hartley. Uh, Matthew C. brought him up a minute ago. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to come get this cat and turn him into a play caller or anything like that to steal him away from Georgia. But uh, they better bring the, bring the cash if they do because Georgia's got a tight ends coach making $850,000 a year. Um, think about that. That's three that's 300000 more than Mike Bobo was making as offensive coordinator when he left Georgia the first time. Um, just outrageous. Um, uh, he's he's recruited so incredibly well. Now, now listen, I, I think it's worth noting that he primarily recruits that tight end position, and that's fine. That's what, you know, when, when he's doing it the way he's doing it in that position means what it means. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, but there was a time when he was involved heavily in, in the recruitment of Carson Beck and, and kind of getting him to, um, you know, after he had decommitted from Alabama to not go to Florida and come to Georgia. But the <laughs> Todd Hartley man is a is a big-time recruiter. He's a guy. And listen, you, Georgia fans can deny this if they want, okay? But there were a lot of them being like, I don't want that Mark Rick Dross anywhere near this program, mm. okay? They said it. Now, you can say you didn't, but you did. And I'm, I'm not calling out names, but there were plenty who did it. And uh, boy, were they wrong. Boy, were they Palmer wrong. said it. Yeah, Palmer. I'm, yeah. Palmer was all in on that take. Old, old intern Palmer definitely <laughs> had that take. That <laughs> <laughs> didn't Clean watch. House. Yeah, they didn't watch watch much Mark Rick there on Georgia football. <laughs> yeah, that, that guy had that take. 
Uh, no, I'll, I'll have, I'll, I'll go stock up here on um, Cedric Van Pren. And I know, um, you know, if you, if you go watch his interview with us on Thursday, um, you know, it, it got tough for him because obviously uh, the, the emotions that have gone into this offseason and the emotional time that it was when he was making the decision on whether to return to Georgia and not return uh, and, and head pro. Um, but I think when you listen to his teammates, his current teammates, his former teammates, uh, talk about him and what he means. Um, he, he's a leader. He is, um, as Zion Logue described, exactly what this Georgia team needed in 2023. Um, I, they, you know, I think with this offseason, especially, they need leadership with, with, you know, as many players as they've got returning, uh, you know, from a national championship winning team. They need leadership that, that'll make sure that they, uh, you know, are. And obviously Kirby's going to do this, but they need player leadership that's going to make sure that they're not complacent just winning last year's title, that they know, hey, this team, 2023, has not won anything. That it's been, uh, as as he said, it's been inherited. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's huge. I, I talked about it when he returned. I couldn't tell you the last time, and maybe it's not that long, and maybe I just am not thinking that hard about it, but when was the last time Georgia brought back a captain from its previous team. Probably not that often uh, th that you end up bringing back a captain because a lot of times those are guys that are going pro or guys that are seniors. It's a great uh, point. So, you know, I, I think to, to bring back somebody like that, that's already an established leader that is already has the respect of everybody on that team to, to you know, further that in, in, in another year, I think it's huge for Georgia. Uh, you know, not only on the football field uh, is it big to bring back a, a talented player like him, somebody that's going to make that transition of quarterbacks easier because he's in the middle right there with them, uh, you know, making a lot of those calls, making a lot of those IDs. Um, you know, that that's that's probably – I know tackle gets talked about as, as the most important position on the offensive line highest paid position on the offensive line. I think center is the hardest position on the offensive line because of the, the knowledge that it takes. And you're not just out there blocking and, and you know, pass pro and run block. You got to snap the football too. And then that's not easy, uh, especially when you got the big guys across from you. So to bring back somebody like that on the field, but off the field as well, uh, stock up on Cedric Van Paran. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh I can only imagine just the, the weight he's got on his shoulders this season with the emotional toll it took on him uh, to lose his teammate. Um, but he, he chose to come back, and now he, you know, really has this, I guess it's a weight, but it's a, it's kind of like a responsibility to honor his friend, honor his teammate, and he knows a lot of people are going to be looking at him. He knows a lot of people are going to be watching him to see how he's handling it. How is he attacking this season? And I, I can't imagine, man. I can't imagine what he's thinking this year. All right. I'm going stock up tonight on Francis Brown, uh, Georgia's cornerbacks coach. 
a tremendous job he's done since arriving. Um, pulls in another one with Demelo Jones, like I said, a guy that they really wanted. Also has, uh, don't forget, the number one cornerback in the class of 2024 already committed to the Bulldogs. And then you go back and look at last year's class, guys that they really loved and coveted throughout. Chris, uh, uh, Chris Peel um, comes to mind. Uh, you talk about closing out with Daniel Harris as well. Um, just a fantastic job since that guy has uh, gotten to Athens. Learning from a great one, too, and Will Muschamp, but I think sky's the limit for Fran Brown. Um, he's another guy that Georgia's going to have to fight to keep over the next couple of years because I think a lot of schools are going to come calling for a young guy like him. With his recruiting acumen and his development, just not a lot of guys like that growing on trees, man. So shout out to Fran Brown. A tremendous, tremendous start to his 2024 cycle, and I think it can only get better. Yeah, I like uh... – calling him francis that was a nice touch <laughs> um guys thank y'all for your time tonight uh spring football is always exciting getting new commitments is always exciting big visitor weekends always exciting and uh this show is always exciting as well thank you to all of our regulars in the comments for keeping it lively and thanks to everyone who has already subscribed to this channel and big subscribed to dark. dogs hq big big bark after dark tomorrow it's gonna be a fun one. Are you gonna Are you gonna expound upon that, little, or is that just gonna little, little just gonna tease us? Little crossover tomorrow night. We're, we're we're reaching back out into the market. Oh, yeah, okay. we've got a uh, little known little known guy in this market. He's working his way up. This guy named Brandon Adams. I confirmed with him today. He is coming on, and I'm so excited. I'm yeah. I'm I'm gonna fanboy it up. I'm the biggest Brandon Adams fan there is. Great, dude, uh, I love the dude so much. Um, I wish he was my family. <laughs> dogs hq daily that will be the show uh can't wait to see that y'all um y'all have done a great job putting this show together i know you kind of took a step back from the interviewees the guest list last week so time to hit the ground running again with a, an all-star guest list with ba and uh it it begins and ends with him man he is top notch uh, so y'all check that out. 9 p.m. Bark After Dart right here on the Dogs HQ YouTube channel. And this show is every Sunday and Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. If you don't already subscribe, hit subscribe, hit like, leave us a nice comment. A lot of content from the spring uh, interview sessions coming up and also at dogshq.com. The uh, $10 for four months promotion going on over there so you can access all of Jake Rowe and Palmer Tom's show notes and Jake Roos's recruiting intel and our wonderful message board that is almost as fun as the comment section in here and sometimes even more fun appreciate your time tonight y'all have a great week we will catch you soon <laughs>